0: Anaphylaxis is just a subset of that acute allergy that is the severe end. So one kid in every classroom's now got acute allergy and Max, who is my 15-year-old son who died from anaphylaxis, he um, he died two years ago. The, the pain and the suffering that we have been through as a family and, and missing Max and all the things that Max is missing out on, it's, it, it's a traumatic day every day and If we can prevent another family from going through that, then it would be an amazing thing. I'm still an emergency physician through and through, and rather than be angry and give up on emergency medicine, I want to make it better.
1: Welcome to the ED. EDGail. Hey, just a trigger warning, we will be talking about paediatric death, so just make sure before you listen to the episode, you're in the right headspace. Thanks, guys. Cool. Um, happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the EDGM podcast. Um, I've had an awesome surf down the beach, and I'm pretty privileged to be chatting to Dr. Ben McKenzie. Ben, welcome to the podcast, mate.
0: Thanks very much, Benny. It's good to be with you, and uh, I'm glad that your surf was great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I went over and chat with another Ben. There was a guy at work that used to say B1 and B2, um, but I like chatting to other Bens. Uh, I think they're awesome people anyway. Shout out to the Bens out there. <laughs>
0: There were nine ten Ben's in my year at school, and there was even one with two ends. Ben with two ends, Yeah. No way. But so there you go, yeah.
1: Are you a Benjamin by actual?
0: No, nah, just Ben, three letters. Just yeah. Ben, there you go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, I'm super, um, I wanted to say just first, the way I heard about, about this, um, we're talking about anaphylaxis for anyone out there. Um, and we'll be talking about some new guidelines out there for anaphylaxis. Um, and Ben, you've got some awesome stuff out there. I actually heard about you through a friend of mine, we were going for a run, uh, and he was talking about these AMAX 4 guidelines. And I was like, man, I don't know what this is. Anyway, long story short, I looked it up, sent you guys just a, you know, hey, I'm Ben, I run this podcast, I'd love to have you on. And I'm not joking, within a few days, I got an email straight back. um, And I was really privileged, number one, just to get a response back. Sometimes I write emails and I never get anything, but I just wanna say thank you first for writing back. And thanks for making the time as well. Yeah, um, no
0: problem. No, it's good. To, it's good. Uh, um, I hope the audience uh, enjoys it.
1: Yep. I'm stoked. Um, we're going to be chatting about anaphylaxis. Number one, um, Ben, who are you, bro? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, so I'm an emergency physician in Victoria. Um, I've been a consultant for 20, 20, some some amount of time, almost 20 <laughs> years. Uh, not quite that long. Um, and I've spent a lot of my time working or in a regional hospital where you see kids and adults all together uh, and there's no other hospital to go so you have to be a real ed and I've spent a bit of time working for ambulance retrieval in Victoria and uh well my whole consultant life and then um just l- that's the last couple of years I've uh, moved to the Royal Melbourne uh which is you know a major sort of Tertiary Hospital in Melbourne, with, uh, with the, which is one of the two adult trauma units. So that's that's me, and that's where I work at the moment.
1: Cool, but um, other than doing medicine, other than doing retrieval, what else do you like to do, Benny? If if I'm uh, hanging out with you on a Saturday morning, what's on your schedule?
0: Well, yeah, no, we've got to get up to uh our block near Dalesford and hop on the tractor and yeah. uh, get, go and uh, you know. Found some trees. I'm trying to get uh, all these like chestnut groves and my, my, you know, one day I want to grow some truffles on our block, but uh, that's a, that's a long-term plan. I've been saying that for about 10 years. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I do love people that have hobbies. I think it's important outside of medicine, outside of nursing, outside of uh, paramedicine to have something that you're interested in. Um, it's always interesting when you chat with people and they tell you some random things they like doing, like archery or something really interesting. So didn't know you drive tractors, but that's cool. Love it, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, what were you inspired initially, Ben, to do medicine? Had anyone in your family done it? Um, was there someone that inspired you that you'd spoken to? What initially drove you to emergency medicine?
0: Um, yeah, but, yeah. so none of my family are, are medical. Uh, there was a family friend who was kind of tutoring me. So I said, oh, I think I'll do physio. And she goes, Nah, Ben, you're, don't do physio. Just be a doctor. And that's. Good advice and when i did my first shift as a intern in ed i loved it and i loved the sort of trying to organize chaos and trying to you know it, it's a special it's a pretty special environment where um you either love it or you hate it and i loved it and it's a bit about the uh you know it's about being there for people on their worst day but but also the, uh being good at trying to work out what's going on with pretty limited information so it's kind of an interesting job and you've got to fix things and think quickly and try and work out what your risk appetite is and uh and then most importantly of course it's the tribe and you know we're we're all we're all part of that family and that's uh that's pretty special so that, that that you know that as a package just uh i think emergency medicine's in my blood
1: Mm, it's so true hey there's such a good community of people in the emergency medicine space uh that seem to yeah. look after yeah. each other seem to chat and it, it's interesting you talk to somebody and then they know someone who knows someone else who's been to that hospital and they're like oh yeah i know ben you know and it's a nice sort of i don't know it is a nice yeah. family almost a yeah. little we have like a run club and they call it the run cult some of the people that are outside yeah. of ed are like, oh, you guys in your little club but when you work in high stress places it's great to be able to Get on well with people outside of the work environment as well now ben we're talking about anaphylaxis you're also doing your phd in um anaphylaxis as well um run me through quickly what you're doing with your phd
0: yeah so look i'm doing i'm six months in i'm doing uh i'm studying resuscitation algorithms in anaphylaxis and what that should look like and i guess that led me to look at the pointy end of anaphylaxis because it's uncommon um pull some things together that are already there but make it easier for people to get to, to know what to have to do when when they're under pressure um and also to make anaphylaxis care better in general because it's kind of something that just comes in and comes out and yeah and we actually play emergency medicine actually plays a big part in caring for this group of people um and we should do it really well and it's kind of a new thing so there's not much data out there like food EpiPens have only been around for 30 years right or like late late 80s Mm -hmm. food anaphylaxis has only been really a thing for 40 years and so it's a new disease essentially in the whole scheme of medicine um even though there's anaphylaxis for described for hundreds of years of different things it's it, it, it's just become so prevalent so um this is the time to talk about Max who is my 15 year old son who died from anaphylaxis he um he died two years ago and um you know de- deaths in anaphylaxis are pretty rare um and sick anaphylaxis is also uncommon but it happens and it happens pretty uh, uh constantly even though it's infrequent and i guess um i want to change I, I, I think if any anaphylaxis person reaches healthcare um uh, uninjured or, or alive then they they, they, they shouldn't die and I, I guess one of the i know this might be difficult for, for some of the listeners but Um, it's really um, in terms of what happened to Max uh, he was was being looked after by paramedics he stopped breathing on the way to the hospital and there was an opportunity for the emergency department to save Max's life and um, that opportunity was missed and I guess it's uh, you know, the pain and the suffering that we have been through as a family and and missing Max and all the things that Max is missing out on. It's it's, it's a traumatic day every day. And we, if we can prevent another family from going through that, then uh, that would be an amazing thing because it's a, a lifetime of pain and it's a generational thing. Your sisters will be, uh, missing out and Max's future family missed out and all of those sort of things. So um, so it's a big deal when, when we don't get it right. And, um, it, you know, uh, I'm still an emergency physician through and through. And rather than be angry and give up on emergency medicine, I want to make it better. And, and so that's, that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm doing my PhD. Um, mm-hmm that's my kind of interest and that's why
1: I yeah. want to do everything better I think it's um, yeah I guess we'll talk about the case a, a bit later but I, I um, yeah yeah and I don't don't know from being in your position um, does that make sense I, I um, yeah I, I hate that sometimes think, yeah these things things like this happen um, but I love how you have turned it into a positive thing um, and yeah. You know, someone said to me once, you know, life's you know, 10% of what happens to you, 90% of what you do with it. Uh, and I love that you're turning that around to when, when you could, and I'm sure there's, you know, you still, people can still be angry and bitter or still be sad, but to use it, um, even with his name in it, which I only realized a max for, and not being rude, I just wasn't such a, we're such an algorithm people. We look at the algorithm and break it down to each letter or number. And then not to realize, I just realized this morning, oh, his name's there. Anyway, we'll get to that later. <laughs> And so I wrote down like you know your legacy of your son will be remembered in terms of the awareness of life-saving treatment, um, and I I'm sure that yeah that's just what I wrote down. But um yeah it's just uh, some yeah and we we know there's other cases um the James, there's a case of James, a 12 year old named James that I read about in Melbourne um, yeah as well. So um, these are important things and it, it um I love that you're using that for a positive positive note which I think, and it makes the PhD even more powerful uh, when you read it and when you you get into it because it's blood, sweat, tears and everything else that's gone into it. And personal experience, which sometimes outweighs all the rest. Um now we'll get on to some other stuff. So um I know we talked about or oh, you said some causes of anaphylaxis, but what is anaphylaxis? Let's go to just a simple well, I know they're not simple definitions of anaphylaxis. Um because I've read it, you know. They,
0: so so so, so anaphylaxis is this pathological reaction that people get when they've been sensitized to an allergen and then they get re-exposed to the allergen. And there are different ways of being sensitized to something. Sometimes no it's not a direct thing, sometimes there's cross-reactivity, like in in Scandinavia, the the cough syrup made people sensitive to uh rocuronium So oh, wow. there's some fascinating ways of the way people get sensitized. But you get sensitized and then next time you get exposed to it, you have this reaction where it's usually Ig made medi- it mediated, and there's lots of inflammatory mediators that your mast cells in your body release, and that affects lots of different organs, and it's sort of a whole body thing. And um but like what i really want to get across to your listeners is um it's a spectrum right Mm -hmm. so if we call it acute systemic allergy or just acute allergy that's a really good name for it because you get exposed to the allergen and then you get this release of all these inflammatory mediators and and then you um but if you only got exposed a small dose of your allergen like a tiny dose like you do with you therapy. like your, yep. the allergist you know they inject a tiny bit of venom underneath the skin to desensitize yeah. you you only get a small reaction yeah but it's still an acute allergy right mm. um and anaphylaxis is just a subset of that acute allergy that is the severe end right. and so everyone gets caught up about the definition of anaphylaxis but it's just severe acute allergy yeah. and it just depends on whether your asthma was bad that day or you had a massive accidental exposure or how sensitive you are as to how bad their reaction is mm. so when you give adrenaline is less important than working out that and recognizing that that's actually that what you're dealing with so um yeah because the, the ones with mild reactions like if you've got a toddler who's just had this whole bit of facial rash and yeah. and sort of had some Fitting and trying to clear their throat after eating a peanut, well, that's acute allergy. And that kid probably needs an EpiPen, even though he might not have met the definition of anaphylaxis. Mm. But like the severe end of the spectrum. Yep. So it's a spectrum. That, that's the first thing to say. I
1: love it. That's good. So we have got a spectrum. Um, you said it can be multiple different things. You raised food. You raised um, some, you know, we can get it to stings or bites. You can get anaphylaxis to yep. do with medications. Um, yep. What other things can and that, we be? And that,
0: no, no, that that's the three groups, right? So <laughs> it's either uh, it's either bites, or yep. like venom, so yep. we call that it venom. Uh, it's or drugs, and we include latex and chemicals in those in that drug group, or yep. it's food. There's only three groups, and that's all you need to know. But there are different uh, in terms of who who gets them and and what they look like. So that's that's the nuance behind it. But yeah, three three groups. That's it
1: lovely so we've got... and
0: but not but not all allergens are created equal so you know within the food group there's milk fish tree nuts peanuts um even wheat soy like sesame like these are the big food groups and you know with the with the venom it's all about duck jumpers and ants or fire ants if you're mm. gonna start start invading Queensland with fire ants and <laughs> and uh and bees of course you know yeah um, and wasps so that uh, there's that uh, but they're the different groups
1: have we seen an acute rise in anaphylaxis you know you've said that epipens would you know have been sort of around since the, the 80s um what are your thoughts on that in terms of you know what like what do you see in uh, terms of stats
0: yeah so it's uh it's now basically one in 25 in schools so one kid in every classroom's now got acute allergy and um, it's bizarre. it's an exponential. Well, it's just this, uh, maybe not exponential, but it's this this continuous rise of of allergies in our society and we don't understand it. Um there's some suggestion that maybe exposing kids earlier to so foods makes them less allergic, and we're mm. looking at the population as the as it grows older to work out whether that's true or not because it's been a shift first of all we said avoid allergens and now we're saying eat allergens when you're little and it doesn't make a difference or is it something else um but it's continuously uh risen but interestingly australia is one of the few places in the world that's reported an increase in mortality uh and and so we're a bit of an outlier in that respect oh really i don't know um australia is you know the food allergy capital of the world or the allergy capital of the world. And, uh, yeah, so I guess this work is only like, it's not going to go away. Like this yeah. is important stuff uh, and it's increasingly prevalent.
1: Yep. That's good to know. What are some of the misconceptions about anaphylaxis, Ben? If you talk to, uh, you know, whether the general public or emergency workers or doctors or nurses or paramedics, what are some of the misconceptions out there around anaphylaxis?
0: Okay, well schools do an amazing job in Australia we are very lucky that we have developed this system where schools childcare centers etc um ch- they, they they manage anaphylaxis really well but they, they train all their teachers uh they have to do annual competencies it's really an incredible system that's been built in Australia um now in ED we lull ourselves into a false sense of security because this is what the stats are with anaphylaxis is that um, you, you know 90% of acute allergy patients or anaphylaxis patients need zero or one dose of iron adrenaline. And there will be 10% that need two. And there's only this tiny little three percent of the whole that end up needing more than two doses. And then uh, if you need more than two doses, that's a predictor very intensive care. And that's something I really want to make sure everyone takes home. That if you need if you've got someone who needs two doses of adrenaline, you should be keeping an eye on them very closely. Um but in AD we kind of go, oh, it's not a big deal because they go off to short stay or <laughs> they're better by the time they get there. And it's um it's it's a serious disease. Like my Maxi he 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 died from anaphylaxis and um and he was like a champion, like a well fit kid yep. and, and he died from anaphylaxis. So it's not something, uh, so yes, it's very common that most anaphylaxis gets better without too much input from the ED. Mm. Um, but, but it's, but it is a serious thing and we need to know what to do when people are are sick. And we also have a role to play in terms of educating people and giving them EpiPen scripts. So you know, that's, that's it. That's our job um and making sure they know who they need to save to get them get themselves risk stratified for the risk of anaphylaxis mm. um so I think that's the biggest misconception is that uh she'll be right
1: yeah you know it's uh, good
0: yeah because yeah. so, it's not it's not always the case yeah um it, it, even though it is like that almost 90 something percent of the time it's it's not always the case, and our job in ED is dealing with rare stuff, right? Like yep. we're you know looking for that aortic dissection, we're looking for the, yeah, you know that's our job. So um, we just need to structure the way we uh, stratify these mm. these people a little bit better.
1: Yep, and I'll we'll talk about your algorithm in a second because it's some awesome stuff. Um, before and before Amex four, before that, before any of the stuff was you put out. What was the general approach to anaphylaxis? You sort of mentioned it a bit then, but what, what? And we said we can be a bit lax, but what? What was the general go with anaphylaxis in emergency departments?
0: Look, it's it's been something that. So historically, what the problems in ED have been is not one not recognizing the the acute allergy because it either gets better and treated by paramedics before they arrive, and so then we don't send them for follow up. So we missed the diagnosis. That's what that was one problem beforehand. The second problem is just getting access to adrenaline because you know, paramedics are pretty good at it. Schools are really good at it in ED. We could it, it's it's a bit of a, a, a drama to, to to get adrenaline sometimes when it um, it really should be simple. It, it should be something that nurses are empowered to do because yep. you know it's given in the community the whole time um it's something that that anybody any of the nurses or doctors should be able to do a triage or patients present and need it so so that's always um, been a bit of a barrier and then there's this whole resuscitation uh thing which to amex4 is actually there's nothing new that's in it it's it's actually just bringing things together it's bringing individual established concepts need to come together for stressed people in an acute situation so is there anything new in amex 4 actually no but what's new is um trying to say um we we can actually um expect Mm. that these patients will end up when they're really sick will unfold in a certain way and need a certain time critical response and we're just trying to package that up for people so they can go yep this patient's dying but i'm not going to let them
1: yeah and, and you could say that like the same thing about using a coached algorithm like you still did safe defibrillation but when they brought in coached it made it so, so much more um fluent to follow an algorithm <clears throat> um and because when you're stressed uh it's great to have an algorithm to follow to keep everyone on the same page uh, <clears throat> I, I think it is
0: totally hey ben can i can i bring up coached for a second yeah go go yeah yeah so it's really interesting I'm actually trying to undo coached a little bit or at least change it to oxygen always so um that's good yeah it, 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 yeah so there's no um there's no case report anywhere in the world like in in the 7 billion people that live on our planet where someone uh caused a fire with gel pads yep so um all of that safety defibrillation stuff and fire risk actually comes from the old uh paddles and there must the Europeans have sort of held on to it a little bit because the uh maybe there's some old paddles somewhere in Europe I don't know but uh there's actually there's zero quantifiable risk of fire from oxygen and um it uh, we we sometimes confuse ourselves because then we say oh we've got to take oxygen off when we're doing DCRs for AF um and that sort of creates a confusion yeah. but the reality is actually that oxygen is um one of the few drugs that helps in resuscitation mm. and we shouldn't be withholding it um for, for deep fibrillation. and there's never a better time to give a couple of breaths and, and I think what happens with coached is if you by the time you get through the whole mnemonic for coached uh your your compression to breath ratio actually lags out so by the time you get to 30 compressions then you say oxygen away and then the compressions keep continuing might be 40 50 60 compressions before you actually get around to delivering the next two breaths mm. so um so, so i mean if you're going to do coach it needs to be pretty quick and uh i'm really trying to encourage sites to um just make sure it says oxygen always yeah I love or, it. Or, yeah if because i mean i know a lot of effort's gone into coach to but it's um It's actually never been studied and it it probably increases the number of compressions to breath ratio uh by the time everyone gets around to remembering it i think there's good alternatives as a consultant group i think everyone recognizes that there's no risk of um oxygen creating problems so Mm. in terms of safe defibrillation, so i think that's um uh, i think that's important and um coach has sort of got a life of its own Mm. But it's only ever really been published once in a sim session, yep. where it showed a two-second difference uh, to, to defibrillation in a sim scenario. But I think the reality is in in a real-life environment. In terms of if you want to charge the defibrillator beforehand, that's great. Like we're all yes. doing that, right? So you charge yes. charge before you you check the rhythm. That's 100%. all great. But that's all we really need to do. That's, yes. that's it doesn't need to be we've complicated it.
1: Yeah, anyhow. and and we do that in yeah. the end. Don't- we do that in medicine don't we like or in you know sometimes we over complicate things that could be simple um yep. and we make things more complicated than they need to be um but dude i like it i'm, I'm putting it in there because i think um we are allowed to change things we should be proactive we shouldn't just do something because it's there um and i guess that's important too is not just to do things because we've always done it um but yeah. to analyze what we do and think is that appropriate do we need to do that And I think it's good just to not to change the way we do things and to make them, you know, better. That's what we want to do. It's for patients. We're doing it for patients, not for our own ego or for, Hey, this is wrong. We want to do it because it's going to benefit people and people aren't going to become hypoxic. Um,
0: Yeah. 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 So like hypoxia is one of the four H's and four T's, right? Yeah. It's the first one. And then we've got this mnemonic that we're using to take oxygen away from these people who are, uh, are effectively dead or their heart stopped and, um, that might be okay briefly in a VF patient, where yep. you, the you can get gives them more oxygen. Um, but in the hypoxic arrest, it, the yep. the only thing they need is oxygen. Yet, if you're doing a pulse check, you with coach you would take it away. So yeah. it's kind of uh, it's it yeah. Anyway, it's, it's counterintuitive. Uh, I, I, uh, it, it's counterintuitive. I don't think it's patient centered, uh, yep. and I think there's no risk to staff. So yep. I think we could we could make it better
1: um i'm keeping it there benny um now you're um we're going through your amax for um God, do you mind running through it? i've got a picture of it here so everyone can see it but um i want you to explain it. i've heard you talk on another podcast where um the other gentleman ran it through but i'd love you to talk about it and what it stands for um for anyone listening out there ben
0: yeah so um if you have a patient who's unconscious um i'll, I'll just give you a little bit of background before i go to the al- algorithm. So yeah. the, of what we see in the ed food allergy is the most common out of those three groups we talked about and with food allergy almost every death that happens with food allergy is asthma related and what I mean by that is that it's um they've got a lower threshold for bronchospasm and um, you get exposed to an allergy and it sets off those uh that, that bronchospasm very rapidly and it's almost because we've gotten so good at treating asthma um, apart from the young asthmatic medical arrests on the doorstep this is the way that sudden severe asthma presents and yes it's anaphylaxis um uh, but we have to be sophisticated and actually know that if you have a food allergy and you arrest that is almost certain that you've arrested from bronchospasm mm. and asthma so that's um it doesn't mean that you can't have low blood pressure or you mm. can't have airway edema and in fact there's often um some laryngeal edema because that's where the food is right you know you eat the food and that's uh the bit that's exposed gets a bit swollen so sometimes that there is um airway difficulty with um with food allergies um but it happens with drugs so you, if you have asthma and you have a drug allergy and you, that then your bronchospasm is going to be pretty fulminant. Um, and there was a case at Prince of Wales Hospital, Lucas Pere, who, uh, who was a young fellow who died from bronchospasm in recovery. Um, and that coroner report came out last year. And um, so if you have a young person who's arrested in front of you from anaphylaxis, it's almost certainly going to be bronchospasm and asthma. Um, and yep, their blood pressure might be low or there might be some airway difficulties, but it's a classic ABC. So that's mm. the segue into the algorithm. Um, and and the good news is if it is just low blood pressure that anaphylaxis is manifesting itself this algorithm will fix it and you don't know what's happening to the airway so this algorithm will fix it so um, let's go through it so the Mm. a is for adrenaline because um adrenaline is the cornerstone of anaphylaxis management um and if you give im adrenaline it takes five to eight minutes to work and that's um and the side effect profile is like nothing and I am adrenaline you can give and not stress. like just go for it nobody should be uh should I give adrenaline I am I'm not sure just get just give it right it's fine um but if you've got someone who's really sick and unconscious then they need help that very second right so um uh, I am adrenaline in eight minutes time when it starts to work is not going to cut it. So that's mm-hmm. when we need to use some IV adrenaline and this is an emergency because they're trying to die. And so that's when we need to give a one microgram per kilo bolus, mm-hmm. um, and that's based on APLS guidelines. So again, that's something that's established. It's there. Yep. We're taking it out. We're putting it up front and center. Let's get some adrenaline into these patients. You need IV access to do it. So give an IO if you need to, um, but yeah, the adrenaline's got to go in, right? And it can't be an infusion because uh,
1: how long does it take your place, Ben, to yeah. get an infusion? Oh, going? it takes forever. Like 10 minutes or yeah. what are we talking Yeah, well, when you work it out, I think we it was like seven minutes by the time they got it. it but yep. depending on it, how confident the clinician was to drawing it up, yep. you know what I mean? If someone's super confident, it can be really quick. But in the end, you're cracking vials, you're drawing it up, you're putting it in, you're priming your line, you know what I mean? You're getting a pump, it's, it does take time
0: yeah so it takes time and we often start it too low so you yep. know I'd start at an adult 10 marks per minute and work your way out but you, you know one microgram per kilogram so for Max that would have been uh you know 60 marks which is pretty easy to do you know uh, we've got some videos that you can we can talk about, or that you can share about how to draw push dose adrenaline up push dose adrenaline's got so many uses in ED yes and this is one of them So that's what the A is for. Because these patients are unconscious, they need their airway secured. Um, And there's two reasons for that. One is you don't know what their airway is doing because there might be some laryngeal edema. Um, You don't know until you have a look. And the second reason is is because these people have often arrested from bronchospasm at super high pressure. Like these are like pressures where you need two hands to uh we well, don't really need two hands but you need you have to push really hard on the bag mm. to actually get any air into them and that pressure's like 50 to 100 um, centimeters of water and that um and lma's leak yeah like, uh, valve mask if you're using a mask that's going to go out the sides through the mm. cheeks or down into the esophagus and blow up their stomach um, you're not going to ventilate them with either of those two techniques and you know it is absolutely accepted that ar- arrested asthma needs a tube um and so again we're just taking this um accepted practice uh and putting it in an algorithm and so to, f- to facilitate that you need just one attempt because it's time critical Is yeah. they hypoxic and so that's why we need some muscle relaxant so um push the adrenaline in and we just push the rock uranium in, if or you can use sucks if you want to and that way we've now got our best one shot at intubating because we're only going to have one guy before we go to surgical airway yep so that's what the m's for is muscle relaxant the a is for airway and that is you know this is not a vortex situation yeah it's not a uh, let's try different airway plans there's only one airway plan for these guys because it's only a tube that's going to help them Yep. so we can't use lma we can't use mask we need the tube so we have one go at tubing uh and if that doesn't work we cut the neck simple okay. as that because um <clears throat> and i'm going to skip the x because i'm going to go straight to the four because yep. the reason why we need to do that is that uh, th- these people are, are usually hypoxic um because of the epidemiological reasons we talked about before and if they're hypoxic and their sats are uh below 50 they're their brain has got four minutes left before it's damaged Mm. and that time's shorter if the heart stopped you know it comes down to if you're hypoxic with no uh with no heartbeat you've got way less than four minutes Mm. um so we've got four minutes to save this person's brain uh and we need to be really slick and we need to agree that we're going to do these heroic things like cutting the neck and doing a surgical airway before it happens Mm. so um, and we can talk more about why hypoxic arrests are different from VF arrests. Yeah. And why you need to have this sort of time critical approach because we can do CPR until the cows come home. Yeah. But we're just circulating deoxygenated blood. So, yeah. you, and until we've got the tube in, there's no more oxygen coming. So, we might as well just stop what we're doing, uh, which is different to VF because you can do CPR and give some breaths. And the lungs still work at least at the beginning before yes. there's pulmonary edema and so the more oxygen can get in and so you can extend that hypoxic brain injury time um you know 10 minutes people have got and if you've got a little bit of output and your blood pressure is actually 40 or 50 then you might be able to extend it out for longer which is why you start getting these uh you know these crazy stories about people getting cpr and but for longer but um the pain. reality is not that. Hmm. The reality is if you're going for longer than four minutes, you uh, you, you have toxic arrest, it's all over.
1: Do you suggest someone has a timer on their phone to sort of say, hey, we're at two minutes, hey, we're at three minutes? We know in times in resuscitation, time can flow really quickly. You can look down and you're thinking that you're – I mean, one thing I did, um, we've been trying to film our tubes. Uh, I've just been recording them on the CMAC. And then it's interesting when you look at the time not being rude, but looking at the time from you ask the person how long did they think it took to tube, and then you look at the actual time, it's quite interesting. They go into a, a time vortex where they say it was 20 seconds, and you look at it was a minute. Um but distortion
0: yeah. of time in the ED is a is a crazy thing. And it's well documented. And like you say, it, we often have no insight into it. And mm. you know, the more adrenaline we've got pumping, the less likely we are to hear. You yep. know, you get tremors. Uh uh, at a certain level and then the next level up you just you you can't people can be talking to you and you just won't hear it and yep. not and that's just physiologically part of stress and and how we operate so mm-hmm. um so i've been thinking about this a lot then and i think because uh, i'm trying to work on ways of standardizing surgical airways and yep um in Australia for for eds and so that's my next project So hopefully doing some work with Rich Levitan who's from the US and does he's an airway guru but um I think anybody should be able to call out that this is a max four it doesn't have to be a max four if it's not anaphylaxis so you know any hypoxic patient Yep. you just got to say max four and everyone's going to hang on well, well max four how are we going to fix this and is that a surgical airway and that should be that the nurse can call that or the scribe can call that or the uh emergency doctor trying to encourage the anaesthetist can do that mm-hmm. whoever whoever it is and then there's a response to that and somebody comes next to the patient and, and is ready to cut um uh, you know once once that's established that's what's happening but you do need all of those people. Everyone. Uh, keeping an eye on the time Mm. and just uh, because when you're in the moment you might be too focused you need everyone's awareness to to help you
1: yeah I like that Ben it's good that you've been able to unpack it and use it you can use it in different ways and I think that's important had you done much uh, surgical airway training in your career as as an emergency consultant I know we drill them in you know sims most of the time we're just cutting it Mm a bit of you know uh whether it's a bit of rubber or plastic we even made some ones at work where it had a balloon behind it and the moment you cut it sprayed it out uh, and there was people that were doing training had you done much uh in yourself in your career as an emergency physician
0: um yeah so there's cadaver based courses which I think are probably the most uh high fidelity for obvious reasons and mm. cadaver based courses are expensive and um you know you need to go somewhere and and spend the money and give some time to it so not everyone does it and um you know the Alfred prestigious course I instructed on for for, for a while and that was that was good and there's uh there's equivalents uh, yeah. there's other cadaver or or pig-based um courses but I think what we need to do is actually get a, a per relatively high fidelity model where people can actually pre- practice repetitions on their desk yeah. and where nurses where there's this standardized course where ccrns and ed docs can sort of come together and agree who stands where but the scalpel's in the top drawer yep and because that's all your difficult airway is is a scalpel in yep. the top drawer because the bougies there and the size six tubes there or size whatever tube. i mean um and so it's not a you don't need a difficult airway trolley or a difficult airway kit it's just knowing where that scalpel is um, and knowing where you're going to stand and what your hands are going to do to make that work and so hopefully we're going to get these models that are not too expensive like they're not thousands of dollars and people can just, just on their desk and yeah think it's true yeah um, so because I, I think that's what we need
1: i like what you raised to in in a podcast you did this year you raised about you know, in airway management, um, you know we do have checklists and they're important, obviously, for that for yeah. rabbitex induction. But you you raised in that too. This is not the time for this. This is the time for like, you know, it's hundred meters. You know, basically, let's go. Best best person on, let's go. This is the World Cup. You're taking a penalty kick. I, I don't care. You know, I want someone who's done this before to have a go. I want it. I want this to be well oiled. We've we've trained and we've drilled into this. We're going to be safe but we've got to do it quickly and efficiently i thought that was good
0: yeah well 100 so there's a couple of things to bring up on that point and the first one is um you, you can talk about it in terms of asthma so you know everyone's got this dogma in their head about we don't intubate asthmas because they're really hard to ventilate and that's true uh while they're awake and you know getting sleepy and slowly get tired and you're going to bail them out um that's fine but if they've suddenly got to the point of decompensation, that's all of a sudden the tube has to go in now, and is I think people get confused about those two things. And it's the same with checklists. It's uh, you, you know one is we do this awake patient whose brain is okay. Yeah. Um, the you know, blood pressure might be seventy, so you're going to get the norad going or whatever yep. the the situation is. You're going to do a million checklists. If it's a cardiogenic shock, you might even get the ECMO team to come and and buy and get ready to cannulate there's this endless checklist that you can yes. do um because the patient's brain is okay but as soon as the patient's unconscious and their brain is potentially compromised then it's like all of that disappears yeah. and we need we've got four minutes to fix this and yep. we might have already lost two minutes or three minutes and so you might only have a minute to fix it and uh so the Sydney Hems guys what they do is they've got a big long checklist and then if you flip it over there's a, uh I haven't actually seen it um but this is what I think should happen is that for every checklist there should be a flip side which just has three things laryngoscope suction bougie yep. and um that's because that's all you need right. uh and as long as the video laryngoscope's working and yep. you've got some suction you're away um and that and you you know so that checklist is on the back and it's not really a checklist because um you look at it when you're restocking the drawers or you look at it when you've got nothing to do but you don't need the checklist to actually remember those three things yes but but you know that that's the checklist you know checklist and inverted commas that you're using because it's it's, we need to we've got we've got 60 seconds to sort it out and 60 seconds to save this person's brain
1: Mm. i like and i love how you've made it um you know four minutes hypoxic brain injury to make it really clear that we don't have long uh if we don't have long it means we have to only do the essential uh that's what i sort of we've got to only do essential so i love the you know adrenaline being the first thing muscle relaxant which is a great airway you mentioned then uh and ready to go with your um Kaiko um x you talked about um i think we haven't covered x but before we said um what's yeah let me do X it, it,
0: it, X is just about adding extra medical therapy and thinking about pneumothorax and and extreme ventilation so there's a, there's a bit to talk about in X but so asthmatic patients are difficult to ventilate um and you do need a obstructive lung ventilation strategy mm. and so that's small volume high pressure with long expiratory times um so there's no gas trapping or uh breath stacking and so that's what the X is for extreme ventilation and then if you need blood pressure support get out the norad and the vasopressin Mm. if you need more bronchodilators do the asthma protocol like give them the magnesium and you know whatever's on your asthma protocol throw it at them um and you know and you've got to think about pneumothorax and there's two ways to think about pneumothorax is one you could um you, you you just gotta be looking for it. Yeah. Uh when you talk to some of the older guys who looked after asthmas in the past, they just said, oh, you know, we just decompressed both sides of the chest. And that's probably what you should do if you're not winning. Mm. Uh, you've intubated them and you know, probably caused pneumothoraces then then you could do that. But you know, hopefully there's more that that's kind of in the next phase yeah. that you, you've got some time for people to help you make that decision. Um because that's sort of in the 10 to 20, 30 minutes phase
1: it's yep. not in the four minute phase yeah and it's a lot and obviously if you're on a bvm you'd have to put the blow off like um you know increase your pressure to be above 40 um because i've even had asthma. oh yeah so yeah
0: if you've got the you're talking about using a bag yes for ventilation yeah yes. totally yeah you've got to have that pop-off valve that, they're no good in this situation <laughs> yeah exactly right yeah <laughs> yeah yep.
1: it, it'll just pop off and um and I, I think I, I, this is quite interesting. I um, was teaching at uni one day, and I um, so I was out lecturing, and a girl in my class had asthma. Anyway, she came back and she was like, "Oh, I'm finding it difficult to breathe." And I was in the middle of teaching. I'm like, "Oh, hey, just take some of your, um, you know, take some of your Ventolin." Had a to listen. To her. She sounded a bit wheezy. Long story short, a girl next to had eaten some nuts in class. She started to get a red neck, and I thought, "Oh, maybe she's." And I said, "Do you have any allergies?" "Yeah, I'm allergic to nuts." Anyway, luckily the girl next to was like. And we'd just been doing like ECGs in class, doing some teaching yeah, on them. Right. I've been doing dot placement. Long story short, um, she had anaphylaxis in class. Um, Crazy. So yeah, so I got an EpiPen out, stabbed her in the leg, um, called well done. called the yeah. ambulance. Um, long story short, the class next door to us was like, "Oh, I heard you guys ran a sim uh, on anaphylaxis. Can we come in?" Because the ambulance actually came into the class, and I said that wasn't a sim. She actually had anaphylaxis, but. <laughs> um i just the um you know even in my head i'm like i've worked in ad i know how to give adrenaline but I'm like this is one of my students um you know but the asthma the mix between asthma and anaphylaxis i was caught she was wheezy she then developed some urticaria i got good classes to do like a i was like this is now can i get two of you my best students can you check her blood pressure and stats we pulled her off into the corner um but that was really interesting when i you know because she was talking about her asthma history she had quite an extensive asthma history but yeah. i was caught in the asthma sort of did to do asthma and then it wasn't until a girl raised she's had nuts and she i noticed a red i'm like oh she's got do you have an epi pen um and so again yeah, we well she got another dose uh and was taken to liverpool um but yeah i just sort of was thinking about that then when you mentioned about the asthma and anaphylaxis um yeah yeah
0: yeah it's totally how how people die from uh, food allergy, and and you know, to the credit of the World Allergy Organisation, they've changed the definitions of anaphylaxis to if you just have asthma alone, and you've probably been exposed to something that's likely to cause um, a- an allergy, then that's anaphylaxis. Mm-hmm. So just so, so, sudden asthma with likely exposure to an allergen, um, the World Allergy Organisation will, will will call we'll call it anaphylaxis because it's it's missed and. You know that that's really important to recognize that asthma is anaphylaxis mm. and and because that's a life-threatening component that's the most dangerous symptom and so when everyone's discharging their patients home from short day i just really want to encourage everyone to make sure that those asthma symptoms um are acknowledged in the action plan and, mm. and that the the patient is almost if they've got asthma they need to have that optimized because it, if your asthma is like if you've got a little bit of ways on the day that you eat the nuts, you're going to, you're more likely to die. Yeah. Whereas if your asthma is well controlled on the day you eat nuts, you're less likely to die. So um, it's, it, it's, um it's really important. Mm. It yeah. Loves- it's good to unpack that.
1: You know, and I, I guess we, you know, you've talked about this, like, you know, being prepared, you know, like a bat phone goes off or, you know, something's coming into the department Um, you know, I loved how you sort of raised, you know, we're going to need adrenaline doses, you know, um, obviously your team, you know, I would, would expect you to have a little bit of a, a five second, you know, you're in charge of the airway, you're in charge of team leading. Can I get you, you know, you two nurses, can you please drop, you know, some adrenaline for me, push doses and IM, um, and obviously IV access. I like how you raised IO. I, I do find in, uh, in even really sick patients, we do, I love putting in IOs. I think they're a great use. If we, if we can't get access, let's go. It's out ready. It's on, it's the needles on ready to go um And obviously, uh, if they're not super unwell or even on that borderline, I mean, a hydrocortisone or something like that, I would imagine, would you give steroids as well? well?
0: Yeah. So, interestingly, steroids, because most anaphylaxis symptoms go up yep and then they go down. And the space that that happens is like, you know, from anywhere from 15 minutes to four hours. Mm. Um, and so, by the time the steroids are kicking in, it's been and gone so steroids actually have um pr- never been proven to have any benefit in anaphylaxis for that reason now there is a subset that I believe probably do benefit and that is these food allergy asthma patients who are going to need help last four hours or right. you know it's a severe reaction um and so uh you know those protracted but we don't know when they come in the door which ones are so if someone's wheezy and you give them steroids, that's great. I don't care. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a bit of, uh, you know, it's controversial area in the evidence. Uh, probably doesn't help because most of them get better before the steroids actually take effect. But, and you know, that's not the one that's going to keep going and be mm. really sick. And so, um, but they definitely don't need steroids when they go home. Yeah, the, the rate of secondary reaction is something I'm trying to set up a registry for. So we can probably observe the well ones for less time but uh yeah so yeah for, for the ones that aren't sick they mm-hmm. you, you give them so so the way that i do it uh so i give them i'm adrenaline and if that doesn't work in five minutes i give them a second dose and that almost always clears things up um if they've got asthma i totally throw in the salbutamol and atrovent load mm-hmm. or ipratropium load in between the two doses of adrenaline so I just throw everything at them yep. and it's fascinating you think that would send up their heart rate through the roof you know adrenaline and Ventolin yeah but all the ones that I do it to their their heart rate just comes down beautifully because they're not dying anymore yeah they can breathe and they go <laughs> uh so that, that that's what I do um and you know that's what says on the um you know the action plan is give adrenaline first then your puffer's second um yep. and that's what I do in ED. so mm-hmm. I just do it in the trash room um, while well, the resus cubicles come in, I give them the first dose, ventral and atrovent, second dose, ventil and atrovent by the time you're in resus and 90% of the time that'll, you'll be done.
1: I recommend having a look at some of your videos. You've even, um, you know, love how you've done even drawing up adrenaline doses, you know, drawing up the big ampules, and then you've got, you know, 100 mics per mil or drawing it up one mil out of that. And then you've got nine mils out of that. So you've got 10 mics per mil and little kids. I thought that's really helpful because Often when, we're, when our bandwidth is full and we're trying to draw things up, we can grab the wrong adrenaline dose and the little ones used for IM. So it's great to sort of see uh, someone do it in real time as you talk them through it. And I'll put links in the show notes for people. Stuff that you raised with Max um, has also led you towards this stuff. Um, you know, you'd know, you never want any of this stuff to happen. You'd rather prefer that we were never discussing anything related to this and your son was around. Um, yeah. And I just... Um, I'm just so grateful for your time, and I know that it would. It it, every time you must talk about it, I'm sure it costs you something. It's hard to bring up. Um, So yeah, I'm grateful. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Ben. I think um, it's hard to overstate the pain when you wake up each morning and realizing that it's real. Like because you just think every day it can't be real. Like you know, I'm sitting just across from Max's bedroom now, and you know we would. Like just, it still can't be real, and it's um, yeah, like you will just never be the same again. And you know, most of my effort is just uh, goes into making sure that uh, we keep things going for the girls, for Max's mm-hmm. sister, Max's sisters, and um yeah, and that sort of it's how we try and struggle through each day. Mm. Yeah, no, it's good, but it, but it's good to hopefully make the world a little bit better.
1: Yeah, and and even like I thought about when I listened to your podcast too, and you mentioned doing a surgical airway, and I thought you don't, you should never have to be a parent and a doctor in the same time. Like you get, I know you do at home. Like your kid falls over, and you might need to, um, you know, do some glue the head, or you might need to go into medical mode. Um, but for yourself in that moment you really had to take over and do something and that would just yeah i just sort of thought about that and thought oh when i'm in dad mode i'm in dad mode that's you know when i'm in work mode i'm in work mode and to have to jump across that uh paradigm and operate then would have just been um yeah yeah the,
0: the most traumatic thing about the whole situation was not being there earlier and you know when i think about what happened and walking into that resource room and max Lying there with, you know, a dozen people around him, but assistively on on the monitor, and um, and then having to direct the surgical airway and complete the surgical airway when someone couldn't get the bougie in, and I had to put my finger in, and because there's no one actually standing where the surgical airway should happen, you know, yep. next to the, uh, you know, next to the armpit is where you should be, and um, and and no one was doing it, and it's you know as a parent the resistance for doing those things was zero like i just Mm. wanted to save max's life like i I, there was no hesitation and if i can somehow get people to understand that if the parent or the patient themselves was standing next to you they'd be saying cut the neck cut the neck my brain's dying like but can't do that because they're unconscious and it's a silent thing there's no blood there's no trauma it's just this silent total destruction of the brain happening like the worst harm you could ever be doing um just happening by inaction and so what i really want to do is just say imagine you're the parent or imagine you're the patient standing next to you and what would you want um you just you'd you'd want the tube in now (laughs) don't care about some scar or get some plastic surgeon or some someone to fix it but um Yeah,
1: Mm.
0: it's hard to describe how that feeling of uh, the difference between someone feeling scared of doing the procedure versus the desire of the person or the family to have that procedure done
1: Mm.
0: uh, in different spheres, and we need to bring them together.
1: Mm. Um, Yeah. Yep. And, you know, you can also also be as clinicians sometimes withdrawn from, you know, paramedics sometimes go to a house and the family are all there, everyone's around there. And then sometimes when you come into a the resource, they've been, you know, moved on to somewhere else and we're working together as a team. And then you forget, hang on a minute, this this person has a brother, a sister, a mother, a dad. And the moment they walk into the resource bay, it's almost like a sense of like, oh, and it's not it's not that you forget it, is it? It's not that when you're working, you dehumanize people, but you're focused on know other things so i love what you said then in terms of just you know almost having that voice in your head that like you know every second that goes by is is time to brain and we need to focus on you know following and this algorithm that's going to really save lives so
0: yeah yeah absolutely and i think you know emergency medicine where the the college for emergency medicine for, for the docs is 40 years old this year and um you know, you know this is our core business and we've grown so big we do all sorts of different things but we all need to be able to deliver this core skill as a team so um you know that the, the nurses and doctors all understanding that that's what the priority is is gold and, and you know what That we, we learn about therapeutic hypothermia or targeted temperature management these days all of that has very little impact mm. um on the outcome but yeah. if you do things 30 seconds earlier in a hypoxic arrest as you've just saved like a billion neurons like it's like it's kind of crazy we've got this really warped sense of ownership of this incredibly powerful treatment that we have mm-hmm. at our fingertips so a good emergency physician is worth 10 good intensivists
1: like yeah.
0: or or more like you know you might not even need icu So yeah. max should have just been intubated and his bronchospasm would have worn off yep he wouldn't have aspirated and he would have been awake and gone home the next day yeah. like that's what anaphylaxis is yeah um so he didn't need 20 intensives over the next two weeks while he sort of yeah uh, suffered from his hypoxic brain damage he just needed one good emergency physician and one good emergency nurse that's yeah. all he needed yeah and uh working together and, and he'd still be with us so um, i guess that's the maybe the, the the
1: take-home message yeah and i that's what my, my last question was about um you know what do you want emergency nurses and doctors and parents who wherever i think you sort of said that it's like it's about
0: doing the things that we need to do and uh, you know one of the things i also wanted to mention was just about well-being and so mm. in terms of what we can do for each other in terms of well-being it's about we're a team that we're on the same page that we know what's going to happen next even if that's heroic and out of our comfort zone and you know that's a fantastic source of well-being is 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 just feeling like you've got the tools for the job and that you've got backup and that no one's going to criticize you so um if anyone does a surgical airway because that's what they needed to do at the time i'll be there to, to back you up if anyone criticizes you because yeah. it was hard at the time it doesn't matter if it could have been done a different way in a different set of circumstances um, but if what you had right there and then was what you had and it was difficult and you need to do a surgical airway good on you um mm. it doesn't matter if the professor of anesthetics could have intubated them i don't give a stuff. yeah it, it, he wasn't there or even just even if you could have intubated them on a better day but it wasn't a better day and you yeah. need to save the patient's life and that's okay so uh, uh, definitely there to support
1: people for people that want to get in contact or look at some of your stuff where can they find it how can they find any of the guidelines in relation to mx4 <laughs>
0: Yeah, so go to a 4org um or dot org.au or dot com. I think got, I've got, you've got a few domain names there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the domain account's uh, getting hammered. Yeah. <laughs> uh
0: but if you if you even if you just Google AMAX4 um and it's the number four, um, then it'll come up and there's been lots of commentary from other uh blogs like life in the first land or don't forget the bubbles or am traces so you know there's there's lots of other takes out there if you if you want to have a look um but I think t- taking some of these concepts back to your place and making sure that you have a way of doing an emergency tube is um is, is really important and that you'll that that it's okay to do an emergency tube without a checklist um well the short checklist that's in your head uh yeah, yeah. that's
1: it is it, good uh, and I recommend printing off the AMX 4 stuff, having a look at it, uh, putting it in your EDs because I um, think it's awesome. So yeah, thanks, Benny.
0: Thank you, Ben. It's great to talk to you. Take care. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Anyway, for authors, signing off for another podcast, you can follow me on Instagram, Jam underscore podcast, um, or you can also follow me on any streaming services. Um, I hope you like the podcast and I've got some more episodes coming soon. You. The EDGM podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which this recording is occurring today, the Dharawad people, and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging.